0: Isaiah chapter 35, the first 10 verses. And then we'll jump to Isaiah 61 for two verses. Hear the word of the Lord The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, the thirsty ground springs of water, In the haunt of jackals where they lie down. The grass shall become reeds and rushes, and a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. and The ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing they shall flee away. And now skipping ahead to toward the end of the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, beginning with verse 1, reading the first two verses only. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, The day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Now we turn to our sermon passage, which is in Matthew chapter 11. I'll begin with verse 1. Our passage is actually verse 2 through 6. Beginning with verse 1, Matthew 11. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Since the reading of God's holy word, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will abide forever. Let us pray. O Lord, our God in heaven, we thank you for giving us your word. And now, open our hearts to receive it. May the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Through Jesus Christ, our great redeemer, we pray. Amen. Well, we've reached the end of a major section in the Gospel of Matthew. And it was this verse 1. We have actually seen several of these words already, uh, word for word. About six words in the original are repeated word for word in five places in Matthew. We saw it at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the end of chapter 7. And we we hear the same words in 11.1. It opens the same way. When Jesus had finished, uh, etc. The the words in the original are, are identical. It's uh, quite striking, and then they're repeated again identically in chapter eleven, here verse one, chapter thirteen, chapter nineteen, and chapter twenty-six. So we've got we've got f- uh, three more places where we're going to have these words repeated, except in the last one in twenty-six it says. And when Jesus had finished all these words, uh, kind of capping off, this is, he's, he's just about done talking to us on earth. Um, and so Matthew is doing this to kind of divide up his gospel, which is rather long for an ancient book, and it uh, gives us a boundary marker. So we're really moving to a new section in the gospel of Matthew, and that comes pretty strikingly with the report of John's question. John is in prison. We actually knew this from earlier uh, in the Gospel of Matthew because we're told in chapter 4 that now when John was cast into prison, Jesus went into Galilee. So we're actually told that this had happened before briefly in the Gospel of Matthew. But here it is that he's in prison and he sends his disciples, to ask this one question. Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? John thinks his life may be a dead end. It's pretty understandable. We can sympathize with him. Sometimes we feel the same way. Has our life been worthless? Is it a dead end? He's, he's in prison, and it seems like all the work and sacrifice that he's made for the Lord our God has not resulted in the outcome that he had so longed to happen and to see. Sometimes we may feel that as well. Our life is a dead end. He's in prison And in the ancient world, prison is not usually long-term. Oh, I know it may go on for several years, but that's only because often the person who has sentenced that prisoner to prison is waiting for a bribe to let him go. We actually find this in the book of Acts discussed. But here, John is in prison, which is more like a dungeon. We actually know where it's at. It's been excavated. It's near the Dead Sea. So, this, this palace of Herod Antipas, this is the, the uh, ruler who has imprisoned John. We actually know where it is and we know where this dungeon is. You can see it uh, on excavation reports. Uh, and in this, in this dungeon, John doesn't expect to last long. Prison is not long term. It's, it's a holding pattern. And there's basically three main outcomes for prison in those days. One is release, often again from bribes. Uh, and that's John doesn't have wealth. His followers are not wealthy, there's no bride forthcoming. The other is slavery. Uh, sometimes hard labor, slavery, very frequent form of punishment to uh, criminals, of so slavery, and then the other is death. So John really doesn't have much of an outlook uh, from the end of this because he knows he's not going to be released from bribery. So brothers and sisters, things look pretty bleak. Now we know from Matthew 14, John was beheaded. Uh, we will get there in Matthew fourteen uh, in due time, so it John was right; his time on earth is just about end, to end, and things have not turned out like he expected. He never expected to be in prison uh, and this is this is uh, coming again, something we saw last time I know it's been a few weeks. Uh, People have expectations for Jesus, what he should be doing. People are demanding of him that he do things the way they expect. <laughs> and he, the praise God, <laughs> Jesus is patient with us when we make these kind of demands upon him to do things that, are not according to his will because he has something better in mind. Something eternal, far greater than we can think or imagine, is what he came to accomplish on earth. People have these expectations, and his main response is, too small, too temporary. That's not going to help you. You need, you need what I am going to offer you. And it's something that you don't even plan for. And unfortunately, John is, as far as we know, in this same boat. Are you the one coming or should we expect somebody else? Now, we know that in John's day, we have literature that survived from John's day uh, and nearby. We know that there are two main views of the Messiah. When the Messiah comes, there would be two of them. There would be a priest and a king. So some groups in Judaism at the time expected two messiahs. So are you the one coming or should we expect another? Maybe you're the priest guy and we'll we'll get a king as well who will, you know, start acting like a king rather than whatever it is you're doing. Or there is another view that said no, there's no messiah God himself is going to come. No human can do what's promised because God promises in various uh, prophets and psalms he's coming He is going to come and uh, come down and rip the heavens open and tear it open like a scroll and people had these expectations and John is falling into this now there's a passage I have to I have to confess all right this is this is one of my favorite passages on this topic. It's John chapter 12. Uh, So let me turn there. It's John 12. I'll be uh, paraphrasing and and summarizing John 12, 27 and following, if you want to look at this sometime. So John 12, 27 and following. Uh, So he's talking about the Son of... Jesus is talking about the Son of Man to people. Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I've come to this hour. Glorify your name, a voice comes. Uh, and uh, Jesus said, you know, this voice didn't come for my sake, but for yours. And then we get to the heart of this. And when, and I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Now we have, you know, this, this business that I want to focus on, verse 34. So the crowd answered him, We've heard from the law that the Messiah remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Just who is this Son of Man? (laughs) What are you talking about? We know about the Messiah. He's going to be here forever. But you're talking about this Son of Man being lifted up and going away and doing all this stuff. Who is this guy? that you're talking about. By the way, brothers and sisters, this is coming up down the road in Matthew. Jesus likes the term Son of Man because he can define it himself. People don't know the term Son of Man and what he means by it, so he can tell people what it means. uh, And it means something very rich and important. This is why he doesn't use the term Messiah or Christ for himself much, a little bit, but not much. Because He is going to fulfill His Messiahship according to His Father's will. He came for this hour. This is what He came to do. He knows what He has to do and He came to fulfill it and no one is going to turn Him from His mission. That is what Jesus shows time and again in His uh, actions and interactions with people. Now John, the John, the Baptist, he has his expectations which, frankly, are are understandable. Uh, In uh, John's parents' day, his father in particular, an angel appeared to his father, and among the things that the angel said to his father, Zechariah, in Luke chapter 1, if you want to look at this, verses 13 to 17. Again, I'll be speeding through this. But Luke 1, the angel says to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, for he will be great before the Lord. There will be no one like him. He is going to be great before the Lord. And then it goes on. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Did you catch that? Did you hear that? Let me read that again. And he will go, he will turn the hearts of many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. It's the Lord their God who is coming. It's the Lord their God that John is preceding. He's coming before the Lord God of Israel. That's who is come. And John is the forerunner of the Lord, the God of Israel. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. And that's what John is expecting. The Lord God himself will appear. And because of that, John expects, you can see this from his preaching in Matthew 3, he expects the Messiah, when He comes, will come with fire and judgment. The axe is laid at the root of the tree. and When He baptizes, He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire, and He will sift through the field And he will throw all the chaff into a great bonfire and burn it up. Judgment and fire and wrath, because the Lord is coming personally to institute really the final judgment. And Jesus isn't doing that. Are you the one to come, or should we expect somebody else to do this stuff that you should be doing? Where's the fire? Where's the wrath? Why am I in prison? Just who is a son of man? (laughs) Well, it's quite interesting to read chapter 11 after after reading and working through, I'm talking about Matthew now. It's quite interesting to read this section After going through 8 and 9. Because Jesus evidences that he knows his mission. He knows what he's up to. And he has given evidence that he is in charge. He is in control of his mission. He is doing the stuff that is required of him by his Father to accomplish his mission among us. And here's his response. This is why Jesus responds to John the way he does. I know what I'm doing. Here's the evidence. You want to see evidence for my knowing what I'm doing? Look at the things that you hear and see. So Let's talk about the seeing. Those are the miracles. Those are the things we've gone through categorically in chapters 8 and 9. All these miracles. You've seen things. You see the blind being given their sight, chapter 9. The lame, like the paralytic, they're jumping up for joy. They're walking now. The lepers, and by the way, that's not in Isaiah. The lepers are being cleansed. You don't have lepers being cleansed in the Old Testament except once. And it was a foreigner, a Syrian named Naaman. This is a cleansing of lepers in chapter 8. The death, now here. This doesn't happen in our text, but we know that Jesus went around doing all sorts of things that are reported in summary. And then the dead are raised. This is something going way beyond what any prophets have done except for very rare occasions. But now Jesus points to them. And you know what? Jesus is quoting Isaiah 35. So what we read earlier, all the, that list actually comes from Isaiah 35, and then he adds a couple from the things he's been doing. These are the things that you can see to know that he is the one to come actually because he's been doing things that Isaiah says, this is the great occurrence when the Lord comes. Here's what's going to happen. And we read that in Isaiah 35. You can see these things. And then there's one other thing. Also, go tell John what you hear. This is Matthew 11, verse 4. Go and tell John what you hear and see. What is it that he hears? He hears the gospel being proclaimed to the poor. Because that's what, that's what Jesus says. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. It's interesting, it's the poor, because that comes out of Isaiah 61 that we also read, and we're going to go back and receive that. So Jesus has been showing people who he is. Think about what we've heard already. The one who receives you receives me. This is not Isaiah talking. Isaiah couldn't say that. Isaiah couldn't say to his disciples, you must confess me, Isaiah, before the world, and I will confess you before God. Isaiah can't say that. but That's what Jesus says. We read, him, we read him saying that in chapter 10. Jesus saying, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. How you relate to me has an effect on how you relate to the, the Father, the King of the universe, His own Father. Because you're dealing with somebody here who can himself forgive sins. Remember that Jesus did that in chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. He forgave sins. It was a stumbling block. John the Baptist never could forgive sins like that. God alone can forgive sins. And that's what Jesus did. What's easier to say? Get up and walk or your sins are forgiven. Sins are forgiven. That's who we're dealing with now. Brothers and sisters, John did prepare the way for the Lord, the God of Israel. And he came, he was born in a manger, one of us, this poor and lowly man who had power like nobody else, who had a mission like nobody else, who was pure like nobody else. He was in charge and no one could turn His foot away from what He had to do. You want to follow Me? Pick up your cross and follow Me because that's where I'm going. I am going to the cross on your behalf because I am going to lead you into eternal life through My sacrifice. I think it's very interesting that Jesus quotes... Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Messiah comes from anointing. It's the anointed one. It's, it's, this is an anointing of the Messiah. The Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. This is what Jesus quotes. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Where's John? Where's the opening of the prison? John asks. Where's the captives being freed? John asks. Not in this world. It is a captivity and a bondage to death that Jesus would break the bonds of death forever by giving us eternal life. If He had simply loosened John from that imprisonment, too small, too temporary. Not what John really needed. John needed all of his sins forgiven by the Lamb of God who strode purposefully and courageously to the cross to embrace all the sins of His people, including John the Baptist, and be punished for them, the sinless one, that He would die, that we would live. By His poverty, we become enriched. By His death, we come to life. That's what Jesus was up to, and no one would turn His foot from that. This is the Gospel given to us. This is the foundation of our faith. This is what we hang our hat on day in and day out. Brothers and sisters, this is the definition of our faith. This is why this church is the way it is. We preach the gospel. You you come here, you will hear the gospel. You will be enriched by the word of God. Jesus led his life by the word of God. You see that in the temptation. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He led His life by what He knew His Father had given Him in His Word. This was the mission of Jesus. And that mission is still going on. Jesus has not abandoned us. He has gone to the right hand of the Father to rule even over us here. And to accomplish His purpose even now. Young people... Your life is not a dead end if you belong to Jesus. It can't be, because he will accomplish his good purpose, even through you. You are a part of this movement that he started out. And this is the gospel, which is the power of God for salvation for those who hear. Even the lost and the dead will be raised so that they may respond in faith And come into everlasting life by the power of God unleashed upon them through the Holy Spirit. And it's the word of Jesus to them. Your sins are forgiven in Christ Jesus. That's what we're up to here. That's what you're a part of. And if you're a part of this, your life will never, ever, cannot be a dead end. You're participating in a movement of eternal life. You yourselves are participants. Praise God. But you're also part of sharing this light in our area. This is a very dark part of the country. This is why I moved here a little over a year ago. I moved here because I'm from here. I know it. But I could have easily stayed where I was. In fact, it would have been a lot easier. I came here because I felt like I had to. Because I can I can help you know, I can do something. I, I'm not, you know, too old. Some of the young kids are looking at me going, yeah, well, you're kind of I'm not too old yet, okay? Just take 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 that. Brothers and sisters, you're a part of that too. You have a you have a, a place in this work, even if It's your prayers. Even if it's things that you don't look as being that important. You could be a Dorcas, a Tabitha. You could be making clothing for the saints, you know, contributing in some humble way. You're part of this movement of Jesus. You look at that woman who washed Jesus' feet with her hair and her tears, she was doing her part. She was showing us how we are to live our life in humble service to our Savior. She did her part. You do your part too. And don't ever think that your Christian life is a dead end. It is not. And neither was John's. Even though he were to die, which he did, yet he will live. And he did his part. And he did it well. He didn't always understand it. There were days when he wondered, like you will. Do not wonder. You look to Jesus. That's the solution. You look to Jesus. You keep your eyes fixed on the Savior who is leading us, and your life will always have meaning and value before Him. Praise God. Let us pray. Big and grand things, O oh Lord. That John the Baptist, this saint who sacrificed so much, who devoted his life in ways that we can't even imagine with sacrifices, with hardship, could then wonder if he were on the wrong path. Much less we think that, and we have so much more and have done so little compared to him. Grant, O Lord, that we too may hear that answer, that the Lord Jesus knows what He's doing, and that our life has meaning because of Him. Grant, O Lord, that Your people here may uh, know the confidence of a Savior who marches ahead most certainly, most surely, most effectively to bring in eternal life and help us, O Lord, to do our part well and joyfully, that we may serve You with gratitude, knowing that we may not understand all that You're up to, but You know what You're doing. We do confess that, O Lord our God, through Jesus Christ, our great Lord. Amen.